Costa Roma. Scores! What a tie we have now. Roma 2, Barcelona 0. If Osteri defends that area normally very well. Oh, he does it again! It's 3-3! Would you believe it? What's a goal! Manolas up from the back! He scored an own goal in the first leg! He's leveling up in the second! And the lovely notes of Tony Britton mean it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. Uh, Frank Cravello here. Glad you've clicked on and gotten stick with us. Almost forgotten who I am. Uh, co-host always knows who he is, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. I'm glad you said Tony Britton and not Tony Braxton. We'd have a problem. Uh, I, Tony Braxton would sue, and it's not even her music. That's the, <laughs> that's, that's the problem that we would have. She doesn't have any money anymore. It's her sister. Doesn't her sister have like some kind of show or something that is on during the daytime or, you know, that it's one of those shows that is on in the break room where I work. And if I'm going to the vending machine to get a snack because I'm fat, I, you know, it's on. And then I'm like, okay. Um, And they watch it for two minutes. You're like, God, I'm glad I have a job during the day where I'm not sitting at home watching something like this. (laughs) <laughs> so is it it's one of those shows right gotcha yeah i guess I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about but that sounds good to me <laughs> okay well there that's that's what it is so so we're gonna tr- this as you can tell we're trying to come up with some sort of entertainment or or or, or, or some sort of we're going to be all over the place because quite frankly Serie A, uh nobody wanted to play this weekend or at least you know nobody wanted to score goals this weekend we had 10 games and 13 goals like it's uh you know, like it's the old uh, Helenio Herrera days back in the 60s with Inter. Uh, it certainly isn't the, uh, the the good times that we've been seeing over the last year, year and a half. But the Tony Burton music, obviously, because some significant news involving Italian teams uh, in the Champions League. Good, bad, and in the case of our guests, uh, some amusing moments. Uh, but first, uh, <laughs> let me introduce... Uh, uh, first, uh, the co-host of Sempre SSC Napoli, freelance calcio writer, travel addict, beer lover, and statoholic, Ken Chofredi, with his second cap on the Serie A sit-down. Ciao, Ken. Hey, hey, guys. How we doing? We're doing, man. Uh, beer lover. What in particular? Oh, dude. We could, we could, start a, we could do a whole Nobody podcast. Nobody scored this weekend, so just let's on talk beer. about this, okay? Nobody scored I mean, this week. You know, I've, so, been, I've been working in the beer industry now for like seven years, so I mean, I'm an IPA guy personally, but... Nice. Lately, I think yes. this is the summer of lagers, so lagers. It's going to be lagers this summer, I think. Lagers are the thing this summer, huh? That's what all, okay. that's what all the cool kids are doing, I guess. <laughs> Aside from putting like coconut and pineapple and lactose sugar in IPAs. Like I said, we could really just go down a rabbit hole here of craft beer, and I don't know <laughs> if we want to do that, but any beer drinkers out there listening to Serie Sit Down, you know, we could chat. I am enjoying a Oberon Ale from yes. uh, Bell's in uh, Comstock, Michigan. It's a delicious American. beer. It's an awesome beer. Um, you know, so uh, so I am a I am a beer guy myself. I do enjoy IPAs, but I have to drink those at home. I can't like go out if I want to be able to drive home. That's like the one beer I can't have because of the alcohol content. Um, there was a microbrew that um, it was this big bottle, and you got two pints worth. And I was sitting watching a football game, and I was drinking. You know, I, I drank the two pints, and I did not want to get out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. That's why I see that a lot of these breweries now trying to get the format smaller. Yeah, yeah. four yeah. IPAs, and you're done. <laughs> That's yeah, right. That's pretty much it. So, um, uh, but our other guest is, gosh, he's up at an ungodly hour. Well, if, if he, 
he's been up at ungodly hours over the last month anyway because uh, he is a father for the first time. Um, he is the uh, founder host of uh, Sampley Napoli, and he's he, he's here to give us his pearls of wisdom at the late hours of night over on UK time, but also to make sure that Ken's behaving himself. Uh, the founder <laughs> of uh, Sampley SSC Napoli podcast, James McGee. Ciao, James. Ciao, guys. How we doing? We're doing, man. Congratulations. How's the uh, how's the adjustment? And uh, the, the important question. Well, you're not getting any sleep tonight, but have you have you found uh, any any sleep at all uh, with this uh, with this uh, with this uh, crazy schedule of having a baby at the house? Uh, well, we get kind of a few hours kip in the afternoon. Um, she sleeps quite well during the day, but it seems to be at night time she has her our crazy moments, um, which is, sure. you know, well, she's, she's had her, her latest feeds, so um, I think she's due back up at three, so you've got me for the next hour and 25 minutes if you choose to go that long. <laughs> uh, but just an interesting note there, you said, you know, um, you almost said Tony Braxton at the start there. I think you could use one of her songs as your intro, you know, that Unbreak My Heart. I think that would be quite <laughs> apt for Juventus fans right now. So. <laughs> And with that, that's... <laughs> maybe Richard so... will close with that he's still got a chance but uh, <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> we'll see oh man this is already off to a flying start well nobody scored this weekend so we've got to figure out we, we've got to pass the time we will talk about what happened let's start off with Europe since uh, we started with the UEFA Champions League theme and we will start in the Champions League um, and give our own takes on what took place on Tuesday um to uh well not my surprise because back in december i predicted them to reach the semifinals of the uefa champions league but roma yes roma the 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 fragile mentality and the the history and seven to one at old trafford and getting slaughtered by bayern munich and then uh, getting slaughtered last year in the playoff against fc porto they are in the semifinals of the champions league they beat barcelona three nil in the second leg uh, winning 4-4 on aggregate, thanks to that Aiden Jekko away goal at the Camp Nou. Uh, goals by Aiden Jekko, a penalty from Daniele De Rossi, and uh, Costas Manolas, who scored an own goal at the Camp Nou, uh, scores the goal that pushes Roma through to the last four. Um, just, uh, James, I'll start with you on this one. Um inconceivable became reality i have no other words but that absolute scenes um i watched that game i had what well, tell you a lie i watched the second half of that game because i watched the first half of the of the man city liverpool game um and once that became apparent that you know man city weren't going to go through that one i kind of flicked it over because uh, i did see on the timeline that people were saying that something magical was possibly going to happen in rome um, for them to come back and, and complete that that comeback, I mean, against Barcelona of all teams, you know, and, and I think the mentality they showed, you know, to, to go for it. And you've got guys like Suarez and Messi who could score against any team in the world, you know, and there was a couple of scary moments at 2-0. Uh, I think Messi had one where he just kind of sliced it wide. So they were creating chances. Barcelona would expect them to, but for, for Roma to just basically carry the game to a side like Barcelona... You know the way they did was it was it was great to see, you know, in terms of a Serie A perspective. Um, and I know Ken, you're probably sitting there gritting your teeth because I'm I'm praising Roma, but um, you know I just think that the way that they turned up on the night, they I mean I think it was Daniele De Rossi had said 
you know, that they came out to warm up and they seen the, the stands full and they knew they just had to, to do it for those supporters and, and by God they did. I mean, whenever that, that header from Manolas goes in, um, the, the reaction, the celebrations and then we've got a commentator here in the UK, it's Peter Drury, who covered the game for BT Sport and his, if you've not heard it, um, oh, his he commentary, his, his commentary, yeah, but full time. It was, it was throwing out all the the superlatives and all the cliches and mm. everything you could think of. But um, he he nailed the atmosphere absolutely spot on. He really did bring it home um, to viewers that were watching it on TV. It was just what what a turnaround, what what a great result um, for Italian football, um, especially to see a side that you know. I know you said you had tipped them to go, you know, that kind of distance, but. I don't think many would have done. Um, and to see them, you know, as you said, you know, losing 7-1 at Man U, humiliated off of Bayern Munich, to see them actually now go through to the semi-final is 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 quite surreal. And I think the draw, especially the fact that it has now put uh, Mohamed Salah right back on a collision course with his, his old club um, is going to make for one hell of a semi-final clash. And we'll talk about that semi-final here shortly. But Richard... If I would have told you that a team reached the semifinal because at home they have not conceded a goal in this competition and they played Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, Karabag, Shakhtar Donetsk, who this just in, they like to score, and Barcelona, you would not, you would not say Roma. No, but uh, we're, I'm glad we are saying it's Roma. And and for everyone who's who put Roma as now the the fourth best chance team to win this uh, tournament, look at the, who they've beaten, where they've beaten them at. Um, it's not it's not a fluke that they've they've gotten this far. It's Eusebio De Francesco's really turned around this team and has given them a spine that what they hadn't had before. Yes, they blew up all those European games in the past and humiliated uh, on national television, but. Hey, they. This team is different. They got they got uh, a fight in them that they didn't have before. And as as James said, you know they they went at Barcelona. And how many teams can say that they they they've taken it to Barcelona and owned you know most of possession and, and getting more 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 of the shots. And it just it was a great great effort. It's uh it does wonders for Syria. That really the the two nights for for Champions League uh, put Syria in a good light. Ken, are you surprised by? The maybe the okay, a couple. I'm gonna have a couple questions here for you, Ken. Let's start with Roma itself. Are you surprised by the lack of talk about Roma's failings, uh, you know, throughout the years at this stage? Uh, you know, and even this deep in the comp, this deep in European competition, um, uh, that that that's not made mentioned as much here, uh, because I mean, Roma is the one club that when they got this deep. You know, just about every year they flat out embarrassed themselves. I remember at Old Trafford in 2007 losing seven to one. Um, I think they got uh, you know you know getting destroyed by like I said getting destroyed by Bayern. Um, just a team that you know would get to a certain point where it was on the line and they just they just fell over themselves. Is it surprising to you that or, or, or maybe it's a good thing that all of that because of this one game all of that just seems to have been forgotten? Yeah, it makes you wonder that if. You know, people are just starting to think of this as a new era of Roma. And, you know, obviously with Tati retiring at the end of last year, you know, I, I would really love to pick his brain a little bit and see how he's feeling because, you know, it's a year after he's retired and now, you know, he sees some of his former cohorts out here maybe turning over some of these 
old pretenses about Roma. And, you know, Barcelona sort of got their come up and, you know, their their receipt from last year, you know, with PSG and the whole big comeback. And this year they they came out and, and they're the ones that sort of blew it a little bit. And I think that um, also the the way that the fixtures fell was really good for Roma as well. You know, having the home game and the, in the return leg was huge for them. But yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting point you bring up, Frank. I think I also think it's 2018 and people have short memories right now. Right. So <laughs> yeah, let but, me ask you, let me ask you this also, um, Eusebio Di Francesco. I mean, does this champions league run, uh, cement him as the next great manager of it next the next great italian manager we have a collection of very promising italian managers clearly well, this win this this win puts him you know front and center is you know when you're thinking of lippi you know ancelotti you know and i'm a you know allegri i'll be you know allegri you you it, you don't just uh, breathe and and win three straight doubles let's you know let's give him some credit here um you know, and I'm talking about some pretty legendary managers here. Sagi, is Eusebio Di Francesco beginning that trajectory now, and does it does it start with this win? Well, I guess we'll see. Uh, it's really, it, I mean, I think Di Francesco has has done a really good job at Roma this year. I think he yep. in the league he hit a little bit of a lull. You know, they they hit a little bit of a soft spot, um, and you know they're obviously twenty plus points off the pace in the league, but. You know, he's pivoted and and done a good job and sort of saying, you know what, the league is not really an option for us this year. So he's been able to pivot and, and motivate his guys to do well in the Champions League, you know, the biggest stage uh, in European football and, and really propel these guys forward to, you know, to a semifinal. And, you know, I have a friend who's a Liverpool fan and, you know, he 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 texted me the other day and said, oh, man, this is going to be. This, this is about as good of a draw as we could have gotten. And I just said something sly back to him like, yeah, I bet Barcelona said the same thing. Um, but, I mean, Di Francesco has to get some credit. You know, he's been able to motivate his guys. He's been able to get – I think he's been able to get more out of players, you know, like De Rossi than I, I think maybe a lot of people saw this guy coming into this year as a guy who was really going to start to go down a, a, you know, a peg or two. And he still has his moments where, you, you know, you're still like, what the hell is this guy doing? But – you know, he scores a huge goal in a Champions League quarterfinal and and you know, he's the leader on the pitch. He's finally got the the armband full time. And you know, I think I think Di Francesco will see what happens in the future. I think maybe before we clump him into these uh you know, some of these higher plaudits, he's gonna have to do something in the league as well. But you know, as a fan of a of a team who's who, who's hitting the struggles pretty hard right now, I think James said earlier in the week that, you know, we're a little envious to see you know, Roma in, in, in the spot that they're in and credit has to be given to them regardless of how I feel personally. <laughs> I'll start. Well, then I'll start with you as far as the prediction here in the semifinal against Liverpool. Uh, give us a prediction. Uh, can Roma do it again? And are they going to the Champions League final? Are they going to Kiev? Uh, I think they got a really good chance. If I, since it's not Napoli, I can break my uh, no predictions policy. And uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say Roma four, Liverpool three as a final, and Roma go through to the Champions League final. Okay. Uh, Richard? Ooh, uh, yeah. Um, first game's at Anfield, right? Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, 4-3 is actually a pretty good score. 
Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go three two for uh, for Roma. Okay, you got Roma in the final, James. Uh, James, you go you going for Roma in the final? Um, well, the first legs at Anfield, as you say, if the Liverpool side who took apart Manchester City appear in that first leg, then Roma could well have a very similar second leg to what they just you know experienced against Barcelona. Um, I just think football, you know, the old cliche is a funny game. I have a sneaky feeling that, and I said it when the draw was made, um, I think it'll be tight. I think the 4-3, you know, or 3-2, I think it is going to be kind of tight that way over both legs as, as an aggregate score. But I just think the way football is, the way former players often come back in and haunt their former clubs and you get these parallels, I would not be surprised if the decisive goal that eliminates Roma from the Champions League comes from Mohamed Salah. So yeah. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buck the trend here. I think Liverpool will just sneak it, but it's not out of saying that Roma can't do it. I just think it is going to be a very tight tie. Uh, and I just think that the, the Salah factor, you know, is is going to be, you know, quite a, an important one. Then I, I would not bet against him being the one who scores the the fourth of that 4-3. He's, he's, he's been magnificent. Um in this, uh, it, you know, for, he's been magnificent for Liverpool, and Liverpool pretty much was at 35 million. Man, that was a steal. Uh, the way it's looking right now, um, it's it's all about damage control at Anfield. Um, do they do do Roma want to try to win the first leg? Obviously, um, that's why you compete. Uh, realistically, if they can somehow get a getting away getting away goal so it's damage control getting away goal hopefully a second away goal but if they can keep this a narrow margin if it can be something like 2-1 to Liverpool in the first after the first leg i love roma's chances coming back um i why not you know let's put them in the i'm i'm going to put them in the final um and i think that i think that 3-2-4-3 sounds fine i'll go with ken and say 4-3 um you know, I just I'm I'm going to go with their reputation for defending at home in this competition. Roma seems to be taking this competition seriously. You know, and when you have a resume that includes um, shutting out at home Chelsea, Atletico, Shakhtar, Barcelona, that's a pretty impressive haul. Uh, when you consider the the attackers or the style of football that some of those teams play, um, you know they're not going to be afraid of Liverpool. You know, they've, they've, they've seen it thrown at them already. They played one of the best players. They just got done playing the, one of the best players in the world over a couple of games. Uh, they're not going to fear this Liverpool team. If they can get, if they can keep it close at Anfield, they're going to win this and go to the final. And I think that that's what they're going to do. And I'll go along uh, a four, three, three, a four, three, like Ken is saying. So, so three of us are on Roma, and then James says Liverpool's going to nick it, but he also th- he, he also would not be surprised to see Roma go through. So um, the other uh, quarterfinal, wow, this in the, in, in the words of legendary broadcaster uh, Ron Burgundy, well, boy, that escalated quickly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 3-3 heading into the dying embers of the second leg and looking for looking like overtime. Um, Mario Mandzukic, I, I, you know, I actually had to go back and recall who scored the goals. All I can remember were the last couple of minutes of the game. Uh, Mario Mandzukic gets two of the goals. Blaise Matuidi gets that third goal to square the tie up. Uh, and in the dying seconds, the ball comes across. Uh, Lucas Vasquez is going for it. Mehdi Benatia puts in a challenge behind him. 
Uh, and British referee, English referee Michael Oliver awards a penalty to Real Madrid. Uh, Luigi Buffon goes batshit, for lack of a better description, gets sent off for it. Uh, the Juventus players circling uh, the referee Michael Oliver over the decision um, in, a, in a web of irony uh, to every other Serie A <laughs> fan. Um, <laughs> I was disappointed with it because I was pulling for the prospect of two Serie A teams in the semifinal of the Champions League uh, with no La Liga teams in the semifinal of the Champions League, but it uh, wasn't meant to happen. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scores the penalty, takes off his shirt and goes nuts as if he really did anything else, uh, <laughs> over the course of those 93 minutes and, uh, Real Madrid go through and eliminate Juventus at the quarterfinal stage, uh, four, three on aggregate. Uh, we're going to give our Napoli friends a chance to have a little chuckle at this. Um, James, uh, you thought it was a penalty. Um, and uh, kind of weird that Italy wins their World Cup in 2006 with Gigi Buffon in goal. And Zinedine Zidane's last action on a pitch is a headbutt that gets him sent off. Okay, And now it comes full circle where Zinedine Zidane is managing Real Madrid in what will become, what in all likelihood will become Gianluigi Buffon's last Champions League game. And he gets sent off. <laughs> so, uh, funny how that works out in, in, in a span of 12 years, isn't it? Well, that's, that's those kind of, you know, just in the last, the last segment there, we spoke about Liverpool and Roma and, and Salah. That's these kind of, you know, paradoxes that come up in football, you know, and, and that one with, you know, Buffon and Zidane is, is another prime example of it. Um, I did think it was a penalty and, and your listeners that will be maybe sitting going out, just a, a bitter Napoli fan. I've been watching football for what, nearly 40 years. Um, we can all agree that the game has got incredibly soft. Um, I think if, if FIFA could make it non-contact, that they would. Um, but I'm afraid whenever you look at the, the angle, looking at Vasquez straight on, um, long before Benacia hooks the leg round, um, you can clearly see two hands on his back making a shoving motion. Now, does Vasquez go down easily? You could argue yes. But at the end of the day, um, it's a ball that gets played in, it gets headed down. Vasquez is going to knock it in the net and, and Benacia quite simply just bundles into the back. It was a, a, a desperate last-ditch attempt to defend. Um, I think it would have been a certain finish anyway. I think Vasquez would have scored. Um, so for me, it's... If it was, you know, our team, if it was Napoli doing it, if that had been Kaladu Koulibaly or Raul Albiol, I think Kenny would agree that we would be going, you know, pretty much apeshit at them on our show. We would be, you know, not shy in, in saying what we think about the error and what it had cost us. Um, but I think that Benacia in the main from Juventus supporters has got off extremely lightly you know, from a lack of criticism because all the UV fans seem to be focusing on on Michael Oliver um, and some of the stuff that we've seen on social media regarding, you know, the threats that have been made towards Michael Oliver and his, his wife on Twitter as well, um, just really unsavoury. And that's just, you know, part and parcel, unfortunately, of, of social media. You've given a voice to, to idiots as well as, you know, people who can actually talk about the game. But it was a penalty for me. Um, the Buffon red card... <laughs> From you can't 
charge at a referee like that. You know, it's the the, the, the image that I've seen, um, it, it did make me laugh. There's a, a photograph taken over Buffo on his shoulder um, and he's got his, you know, he's, he's shouting and screaming right in Michael Oliver's face and, and Oliver's um, neck, he looks like a like an accordion. You know, his, his face is that pushed back yeah. into his neck that he's got about four double chins going on there. Um, you, yeah. you simply cannot scream, shout and intimidate a referee like that. And and there's a lot of kind of hypocrisy going on here because, you know, we all see domestically that there's decisions that, you know, in the past and even today you look at them. I mean, the, the penalties against Benevento uh, last week, you know, the, the second one especially was a, an absolute dive um, and for that to be given was just a joke. So this is a support who, you know, are, are quick enough to to gloat almost whenever they are given, you know, fortuitous, you know, decisions in their favour, you know, which seems to be something that happens more often than not. Uh, and here we are um, when they are no longer the big fish. You know, the, the big fish is obviously the, the the main the main fish in the pond. You know, to use the old. Not the decision they are at home. Um, you would expect that the you know the big big clubs are going to get those decisions at home. But for me, it's a stonewall penalty kick. It may be soft, but as I said, this is a sport where you can't breathe near a goalkeeper without giving away a free kick. So I don't see why people are surprised at that kind of contact. You know, at the speed the game is played these days, it's it's a penalty kick, and, and Buffon simply can't act like that. And his his words, which he refused point blank to retract and to apologise for and actually said and the quote that was on Football Italia's website they ran the the story um, and Buffon said that you know he doesn't care if it costs him his reputation he would say it all again and I think for me that's very disappointing as someone who has you know lived his whole career as being this model professional and someone who is idolised amongst you know Italian football fans and, and fans of the Italian national team and for him to come out and, and act like that and say, you know, at the end of the day that he would say all those things again and, you know, his comments have, have played a huge part in the threats that have been aimed at Michael Oliver and his, his wife. So I think, you know, Gianluigi Buffon, for me, a little bit of that public mask has begun to slip. You know, it's it's not what you want to see. It's not professional. It's not what we've come to expect from Gianluigi Buffon. And it's certainly not how you know, you guys or myself or any fan of Italian football would have liked to have seen this player go out. Ken, um, Gianluigi Buffon, to kind of follow up on what James was saying. <clears throat> what, what's his legacy then? I mean, we, we, there's, there's, this, there's this hypocrisy, obviously. There was, you know, some comments about, um, uh, you know, the Muntari goal. Um, that wasn't called and you know some people are recalling that um and richard i'll have a question for you about you know about that related thing shortly but you know what's buffon's legacy because when i think of zinedine zidane's legacy and when i think about zinedine zidane i the headbutt is one of the last things i think about um will we eventually in time forget that forget about this with gg I don't think that we'll forget about it, but obviously his reputation and the, you know, the way that he's conducted himself at the bare minimum in the public eye and the way the public paint him is, you know, is very brightly. So I don't imagine, especially domestically, you know, in Italy that he'll be painted any differently. And I imagine a lot of people feel that he's justified in his, 
lapse of better judgment there. Um, but for me personally, I think it's one of those things where I'm trying to think of how I could say this diplomatically without half of the people or a quarter of the people or however many of the people were Juventus fans. Ken, this is a Serie A set down. You don't have to be diplomatic. I think that w- what happened over the last week is completely inexcusable, basically. You can't. I know that I mean the way that I that it seems to me is that this is a guy who sees his last chance at winning a Champions League trophy slipping away and he's going to lash out at the first person that he thinks is worth his wrath and and in this case it's Michael Oliver a referee who and just to double up on what James said I'm sorry but that is a penalty and at at the at the bare minimum it's an extremely clumsy and ill-advised attempt to get someone off the ball. And at the most, and what I think it is, is like, you can't, you just can't push someone in the back and hook your leg around them in the box and then flip shit. Like he took a dive in the penalty box in, in the last minute of a, you know, of a champions league quarterfinal. I mean, the, the hypocrisy is so ripe. You look at, you look at our, our, our buddy Higuain the week before, a guy from Benevento misses his leg completely and he flops down on the ground and, you know, that eventually ends up being the match winner or, you know, trajects them onto a victory. And to see John Luigi Buffon come out and basically incite people to attack this person, you know, online or whatever is, is it, it's despicable as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's not... It's not something you do, you know, the guy's doing his job. And in this instance, he's doing it properly. And I'm sorry that you're never going to win a Champions League. But, you know, it, it's it's really, it really rubbed me the wrong way when I saw everything happening after the match of the things he said. And then, like James said, he had a chance this week to say, you know, after a couple of days, do you think maybe you should climb down the ladder a rung or two? And he just doubled down. So, you know, it, it's, it's really... Uh, it's one of those crazy things. You see the Italian game in this beautiful way the day before. And then after you see the gross hypocrisy Mm -hmm. of, of things, you know, and how (laughs) ugly it can be. And, you know, the hypocrisy can go a million ways. It can go back a week or it can go back, you know, 10 years. And and we all know what happened, you know, with Juventus and I'm not even going to go get it, get into that nonsense, but it's, it's it's not good. It, it it just it just makes that that taste on the back end just be sour. You know, it's a guy who's who's bitter and he's going to take it out on on someone who doesn't deserve it, and it's it's not right. I don't think. Can I can I just pick you on you know, you know the back of that as well? There was other comments I seen as well. You know, from from some Juventus fans who had you know said right okay about the penalty, but you know they were okay with the penalty decision. They're not okay with it, but they accepted it. But it was the Buffon red card which made it worse, and I'm thinking. Do you think that Buffon even being in goal was going to stop Ronaldo? Ronaldo's putting that in the top corner, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know, the the guy's got icing through his veins. Ronaldo was not missing that penalty kick. You could have turned your TV off and walked upstairs to your bed and went goodnight. You'd have known it would have went in. The guy wasn't missing. So I don't see what, you know, maybe there's this thing that, oh, was Chesney going in goal so we had no chance to save it? I'm sorry, Buffon wasn't stopping that either. Just wanted to kind of add that as well. Richard, um, the rest of Serie A, uh, and in particular Milan Twitter, 
clearly did not hold back on this, did they? <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Uh, and real, real quick, I want to touch base on, uh, you were talking about, uh, you know, Zidane's legacy not being tarnished. And really to football minds, people who know football, calcio, soccer, whatever you want to call it, they, they, they remember Zidane for all the great things he did on the pitch and how magical he was. And, and they'll do the same thing with Buffon. But there's a lot of people who don't know much about football. All they talk about now is Zidane and his headbutt. People who don't know anything about soccer or culture or football. Uh, they'll do this, they may do the same thing with Buffon, but, Zidane's is a little extreme, extreme example. Um, yeah, Milan Twitter had a field day. Uh, they're pushing pictures of Muntari's non-goal that was called a goal, or Muntari's goal that was called non-goal, and then, uh, all kinds of examples of when Juventus have done this. And, uh, somebody, I'm not going to mention the person's name, but they said Juve got juve Who was that? Was that me? No, maybe. It was you. <laughs> very yeah, clever no. <laughs> but yeah no, it, it, all the all the Milan Twitter pretty much got up on Juve's face and said hey this is what we've been doing with in Serie A for so long now you know what it feels like indeed yeah. um, Richard this is this is the I mean this is the I think this is the Champions League window for Juventus officially slammed shut um how about you? And is this a, is this, does this make the overall project under Massimiliano Allegri a failure? Because I mean, still, I mean, it, three straight doubles, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. I don't think it's going to be a failure. Yes, I do think the window is closing as far as Champions League, uh, a deep run to get a titles. I think that's done. Uh, they're, they're still going to be very much in contention for the Scudetto for many years, even if Allegri leaves. Uh, but the Champions League window, I think, is going to be closed. Uh, just so many good teams now, and Juve haven't done, they haven't stepped up really enough, in my mind, to match these other teams. Uh, they've lost so much in, uh, for the last year, even a couple years, really. Um, and who knows if Allegri's even going to stay next year. Maybe he gets, he gets another double and decides, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to go try something else, you know? And so you can, you can, eventually you want to get an itch for, for something else. Uh, winning sometimes does get boring. Um, you know, Conti left, Ancelotti's left, uh, all his all his great managers have, have left to go find something else, Pep Guardiola. So I, I don't know how long Allegri's going to stick around, and with the current batch of players, how much of them? How much of them going to stay around? Chiellini's going to be gone, Buffon's going to be gone, Berzali's going to be gone, um, Arquizio, who knows how long he's going to stay? Mandzukic, he's he doesn't have much more years left. Iguain, yeah, he can still score, but he's not gonna. He's not the player he was when he was Who? in Napoli. Yeah, you know, Pig Wayne, Pig Wayne. So I think it is close to them, at least with the Champions League and European aspirations. Uh, they'll be very much in the, in the talk for for Scudetto's for years to come, just because uh, I think Serie A teams need to step up, and they're gonna. I think next couple of years are gonna have a challenge there, as we've seen teams this year have stepped up to uh, give them a challenge. So we'll see. Uh, it was Syria, but yeah, I think the window's closed as far as Champions League. James, uh, you know, same question: has the has the uh, Champions League window closed for this era of Juventus? With the players that you mentioned there that are leaving, it's a hell of a lot of experience that they're losing. Um, but I do think, you know, it would be somewhat ironic if Roma would somehow go on and win the Champions League. The same competition that Juventus spent £90 million yeah. on Higuain to, to try and win, I think, especially off the back of Roma losing their best player in Mohamed Salah, um, for them to go on and win that would be, I think, quite a, a kick in the teeth to, to Juventus as a, as a club and as a support. Um, I just think 
despite the result and despite coming back from 3-0 down to 3-3 and then we all know what happened in stoppage time but I, I tweeted this after the first leg and I kind of still stand by it I'm just in line of you know the way their previous European competitions have went I know they have made you know two finals and whatnot, but it's almost as if they have the same kind of mentality or fragility in Europe that can be levelled at Napoli on a domestic level I just think, you know, that there's just something missing to make that final step. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Is it better players? Nobody could argue that their squad's not good enough. So I think the the, the telling thing um, for me was that in the first leg, Paulo Dybala let himself and let Juventus down with his, mm-hmm. you know, his diving and his petulance, which led to him being sent off. Juve were, were crushed um, by Real Madrid. And then they go to the, the Bernabeu. They don't have him because he's suspended. And they put in a performance which sees him clock back to 3-3, you know, without Dybala. So you've got a question if, <laughs> are Juventus, I thought they played far better than I've seen them in many. Can I know that I've watched them too often, but when I have watched highlights of them, I have watched their games live. I thought they looked a far more dangerous and compact side you know, against Real Madrid in the second leg than they did in the first. I think Dybala let them down badly. So will that be noticed? I'm not saying Dybala's not a great player. Of course he is. He's got a lot that he needs to learn, a lot he has to cut out of his game, much like Cristiano Ronaldo did when he first came to England. He was notorious for his diving and his, his petulance and Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, hammered that out of him and, and we see the player he's become. And I think Dybala has to take a look at himself and ask himself what kind of player he wants to be. Does he does he want to be this diving, you know, petulant child or does he want to kind of step up and, and make himself one of the, the game's greats? And if he does that and he does state Juventus, then, you know, he could be the the spearhead for, for a new era. But is the window shut on this particular version of Juventus, if you want to call it that? I believe it is. I think last year was the golden opportunity. They were obviously destroyed in the final. Uh, this year they had clawed it back to 3-3 against all odds, great advert for Serie A at the time, we all know what happened as we said in stoppage time and I think you know with the way they've gone out I do think they will use that anger and I said that at the time, I said it to the boys from Sempre in, in private in our chat um, I do think they will use the anger you know as misguided in my opinion as it is um, in terms of the decision, because as, as I said, I, I believe the decision that Michael Oliver made was right. But I think they will use that anger to fuel the push now over the last six, seven games for for that Scudetto. I mean, it's a powerful thing. You know, if you believe you've suffered an injustice, it can drive you, you know, to, to new levels of motivation. And I think it, that will happen. But as a European project, I think this version of Juventus um, is, is pretty much um, finished when it comes to, you know, aspirations to win the Champions League. They'll need to go away and remodel, look at the areas that they're going to have to strengthen. Goalkeeping looks fine, you know, because, um, you know, Chesney's come in when he's deputised for Buffon. He's looked. You know, he was great at Roma. He's looked even better this year when he's played. Um, but guys like, you know, Barzagli that believe in maybe Marquisio, there's talk of him going to MLS. So they are losing a lot of experience. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. But um, yeah, this version of Juventus, I believe, is, is finished in terms of Champions League aspirations. Ken, do you agree with all of this? The Champions League uh, window has closed for this Juventus group. Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, with this pretty much being advertised as the Gianluigi Buffon farewell tour. Uh, I think that 
you know, him, Chiellini's not, like Richard said, Chiellini's not getting any younger. Barzagli's got to be done. Marchisio can't stay healthy. You know, I think they're going to have to, you know, retool the ship a little bit. Not that, I don't, not that obviously they won't or can't do it, but, you know, James had a really good point about Dybala, and, I, and just to sort of piggyback on that, he's going to have to decide whether he's going to go the Ronaldo route, like James said, or whether he's going to go you know, the Neymar route and run away and take big money somewhere else. And, you know, expectations are lower in Paris than they are in Barcelona. So, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what he does and how this team retools. You know, even a guy like Matuidi, who they blatantly, you know, in my eyes, obviously brought in for this push. You know, he's a veteran player. And, you know, you see a guy like Mandzukic who's there. And, you know, he's not getting any younger either. And, you know, I think I think that this European project, I think you can, you know, close the door on it and it'll be interesting to see if Allegri decides to stay or whether we're going to get a, uh, you know, a, re- a, a return fire here with Conte who looks like he is almost certainly out at, at Chelsea. So, you know, we can see, you know, the fake haired wonder come in and see if he can, you know, get them to where they need to be. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think it's uh I think this version of Juventus and, you know, with a lot of joy, I'll say, I think, I think this is done for them as far as this ter- current team is concerned. Interesting. Yeah, well, we all agree on that. Um, so that was uh, that was the recap on Juve and uh, their, um, their dismissal from the Champions League uh, at the quarterfinal stage. Uh, the Europa League, uh, Lazio took a 4-2 lead to Salzburg uh, against Red Bull Salzburg in the second leg. Ciro Immobile... Uh, scored in the 55th minute to put Lazio ahead 1-0 and up 5-2 on aggregate, and apparently Lazio stopped playing after that. Um, <laughs> uh, Moanez Dabur scored just a minute later to make it 1-1 and game back on, and then in the space of five minutes from the 72nd to the 76th minute, bam, Amandu Haidara, Huang Hichan, and Stefan Line are all scoring for RBS uh, to complete the comeback, pull off the shock, beat Lazio 6-5 on aggregate. Um, we're going to talk about the derby, uh, you know, in a little bit here, Richard. But, uh, you know, prior to that derby and then just looking at this game, this is Lazio. This is what you get. It's an adventure. And you don't know if they're going to score four goals or if they're going to concede four goals. And unfortunately, uh, they concede four in this one at their cost, uh, at the cost of them. Uh, achieving some silverware this year. Yeah, yeah, this is this is Lazio and and Red Bull Red Bull Salzburg. They're not a team to scoff at because they are undefeated this season in, in at home uh, in European competition. So they are good. They just they're playing Austria, so people you know they they laugh at them. They're like, oh, they're not that good, but they are. Uh, and Lazio, they had a five two lead on them, and this is what Lazio does: they score goals and they give up goals. Uh, one minute you think that they're they're scudetto contenders with the amount of goals they score. And the next minute you turn around, they're like, how the heck did you give up three goals to Benevento or whatever? They're mind-boggling. It's hard to – them and Inter are just – you can't wrap your head around, like, what are they thinking? It's just – it's all – must be a mind game with them because they're so talented. They're, they're The talent they have in the attacking presence, and, and they even have, they have better defenders than Inter does. And they just can't stop anybody, it seems like. Uh, they switch off, and when they switch off, they switch off big time, and teams take advantage of it. And – it happens every game. They never have a perfect game where they, they're on it for the whole time. And um, even that game that they won against Juventus earlier in the year, they, they, they switched off and Juventus got, got that goal. Uh, it's, it's, it's something Inzaghi is going to have to figure out because 
there's a lot of potential with this team, but it's a bogey right now with with the defensive quality that they are putting out there. They're allowing these goals left and right to teams that should have have no right be scoring all these goals against them. Uh, it's 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 really sad to see. It's embarrassing to see really for Serie A, the, a team up five two uh, with twenty minutes to go and you lose the game six five and I agree it so. Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, James, Ken, quick, quickly on Lazio here. I mean, they've got 75 goals in Serie A. Um, I mean, it, it, 75 goals in 32 games should be title-winning stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, we sort of saw Serie A just take a step down day by day over the week of European football. Yes, it's just like we saw the highs of the highs and then we saw the lows of the lows. And the irony is, is that on either end of the spectrum are the two teams that play in Rome. So, you know, with Lazio, <laughs> with Lazio, I think you had a team that at some point this year scored 28 goals in seven matches or something like that. Some sort of absolutely ridiculous number, you know, but this is the other end of it, uh, you know, and I think that Inzaghi deserves a fair amount of, of credit for, you know, the style of play and, you know, the amount of goals they score. But I think at the, to the same end, he's got to be, you know, held accountable for that, that European exit. And then of course they turn around a couple of days later and it's a nil, nil draw. So, I yeah. mean, you guys do, you know, we're going to try to figure out Lazio, but I think Lazio has always been this club where they've just been that sort of enigmatic team where they could, you know, blast you five to two, or you could blast them five to two. It's just one of those, they've always, I feel like the last, you know, 20 years have been a team like that where you really never know what you're going to get. You know, they're the, the box of chocolates from Forrest Gump of Serie A. <laughs> does, that sum, does that sum them up for you too, James? Yeah, I mean, 75 goals scored, but 40 conceded in Serie A, you know, the, the most of any of the top six by, you know, quite some distance, only Milan, uh, you know, are, are four back on 36 goals conceded and they've only scored 43. So, um, you know, Lazio certainly have got goals in them at either end of the pitch, but, you know, looking at the, the numbers, Eddie Mobley scores on 55 um, and then Dabour scores 56 a minute later, straight from kickoff. And then you've got this crazy sequence of 72, 74 and 76 minutes where, you know, Red Bull Salzburg just flipped the tie on its head. Um, crazy, absolutely crazy. But, you know, I think Ken summed it up there, you know, with the, the kind of the Forrest Gump analogy. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get with them. Uh, and as I said, their the Serie A stats there certainly show that they have got goals in them at both ends. Richard, I'm paraphrasing our friend John Solano, I think, in reference to uh, his Roma coming back and then uh, Juve falling apart and then Lazio melting down. Um, uh, I think he had said something in a tweet, I, and I'm paraphrasing. I think he wants to, like, if he could put these last three days in a bottle and, and, and be able to drink it for the rest of his life, he'd be happy. Something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, he was like Ice Cube. Today was a good day. Yeah. 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 That was that, That's probably the best thing it's going to get for him, unless, you know, they go and win Champions League or something. So uh, I guess John can celebrate for a little bit. <laughs> yep, John will definitely enjoy that. So uh, so that's our European Roundup. We all, you know, we're all liking Roma's chances, James, maybe not to the point where he wants to put Roma in the final of the Champions League. Uh, we had a good uh, we had a good breakdown of Juventus and unfortunately really just talking about those last couple of minutes and their legacy uh, in this competition. And of course, Lazio falling apart uh, when they were three goals ahead with 35 minutes to go in the second leg of the Europa League. Uh, so your reaction to everything that happened 
uh, with the Serie A teams in Europe last week. Go to at Serie A, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, let's get into a little Napoli Q&A with our guests. If we got Napoli guys on, let's do some Napoli Q&A. All right, so um, I'll start with I'll start with this question, and then James or, or I guess we'll you know you guys can each have at this. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm just thinking back to the summer where um, you know everybody stayed. There was the talk of the Scudetto Pact, and then everybody watched them in preseason. They watched them in the Audi Cup, um, and the, the way they were playing, they were everybody's darlings. Um, were we easily blinded by you know, looking at where they're at in the table, and obviously there's six points back. They still got to go to the Jays, so they've got a chance to, you know, to win there and make this a title race again. You know, but just kind of looking at Napoli's current form, there's certainly there's certainly some <clears throat> there's certainly some worry here. Were we blinded by how attractive their football was on the pitch? That was that there's a wait a second the reinforcements and the reinforcements and the, uh, the, the, the squad depth, are they going to be able to do this all season? Uh, did we, did, in, you know, in the end, did we just get blinded by, by just how good they were on the pitch? This is uh, such a difficult question to answer because I feel like it's the most divisive question to answer. And we we're sort of stuck in this Napoli catch 22 where, the style of football we play is so beautiful. And, you know, when it comes off, it, you know, it, it just, you know, it, sometimes, it, you know, at Sempre, we just call it football porn. You know, the, some of the goals they score, you're just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And and Maurizio Sadi does deserve his credit, you know, sort of like drawing up the tactics and and getting these, you know, the the, the training sessions and, and the one-twos and everything else. Um, but I think that, and I, I, you know, we have had some major injuries that, in terms of death. You know, you see Gulam go down for the, basically the whole season, and and Milik again with you know the you know the other ACL this year, and he missed you know a huge chunk of the season. Um, but I think, and I'm pretty sure James will. Well, I'll let James speak for himself, but I think because <laughs> I'm sure James will have plenty to say, but. I think that the th- the missing piece that a lot of people don't see when they don't see Napoli every week and things that we talk about on our show often is is the stubbornness of our manager and his inability to make in-game decisions that can make a difference and also squad rotation things that can make a difference. Um, a lot of the argument we see on Twitter is that the subs that we have aren't, you know, the same quality as our starting 11 players. And that's really not the point of a bench. You know, you're not going to have, you know, 20 guys that are all the same quality because that's just not how it works on, you know, unless you have pockets that are as deep as, you know, a team like Juventus, you know, who, who can have 160 million Euro payroll and, and bring in guys that are, you know, almost as good or as good as some of the starting players. We have to utilize rotation and and players on our bench in a different way. You have to identify weaker teams on the schedule, uh, your Beneventos, your your your, your Spals, your Hellas Veronas, and and use some of these players like your Marco Rogues and your Amadou Diawaras and Adam Unases and a couple of the other players that haven't really seen many minutes this year, 
and utilize those players in matches to make sure that when you're going down to the last six or seven matches of the season, that you're not tiring out mentally and physically. You know, we played our best players against Benevento first time around and we crushed them like a worm. And now it's great and it looks awesome on paper. But you're like, you know, maybe that's 90 minutes where <clears throat> Lorenzo Insigne or Dries Mertens or Jose Callejon or or Kaladu Koulibaly could have gotten a rest. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where the it, it's it's time for the season to wind down and it we we've already seen this story two years ago where where we you know we didn't rotate and we were playing the same guys every week and we tired out and we were winning the league at you know when when the league turned over and this is where the same position we're at so you know it, it's sort of that that old adage where you know ones can be an anomaly but two you're starting a trend and i think that We'll see how it end, happens at the end of the year. But if Napoli don't turn the six-point spread around, which is a huge ask, because now at this point we have no, we have to beat Juventus at the J, and we have to hope that we win the rest of our games, which is a big enough ask anyway, and that one of these other teams give us gives us a hand, whether it's Inter or Roma or you know Crotone or any one of these these teams are going to have to you know take some points off of Juventus, and I think that. We weren't necessarily, you know, misguided by how beautiful the football is or how deep the bench is. But I think that, you know, a lot of it comes down to player and, and team management. And that's a, you know, we we bowed out of Europe so openly and publicly and said that this isn't our objective. You know, we're here to win a Scudetto. And then if you don't win the Scudetto, you know, the Crows have to, you know, yeah, yeah someone has to be held accountable for that. And I mean... For me, and I know I'm, I'm not going to be popular with this opinion, but you know, Maurizio Sarri is going to have to, in my opinion, be the one that that pays for those things. You know, it's his. It's at the end of the day, it's his choice how the team is running. If he's going to concede Europe for a scudetto, and then you don't bring the scudetto home, then you know that your head should be on the chopping block. James, uh, your, your thoughts on all this. Yeah, I agree with what Ken said there. And, and, you know, nine times out of ten, Ken and I do agree um, when it comes to most things on Napoli. But um, you asked the question, were we blinded by the beautiful football? Um, And I think it all comes back to, it's an analogy which um, is used by Adam Summerton, who we have on our show a few times from BT Sport. He's the Serie A commentator there. Uh, And quite often on air, he'll say that, you know, Napoli in full flight, it's it's beautiful to watch, but it's like a you know an old vintage racing car, you know when all the parts are you know working properly and, and finely tuned, then it's it's beautiful to look at. But when one little component goes awry, then you know the, the wheels fall off, and I think it is very much like that. And um, we finished last season, you know, we went from the the Real Madrid game, the second leg of the Real Madrid game. Domestically, we went unbeaten all the way through from February until May. Um, and we played some great stuff all the way through to the end of the season, and that's what led to this optimism that you know if we can keep everyone together, um, the Scudetto Pact seems so long ago now, um, almost been forgotten about because of the form that we have shown. Um, I think it was at ten points from the last available twenty-one we've taken, which is not championship-winning form in, in any league. Um, but you know, it's that run last season for me came when the pressure wasn't on, we were in a title race. And I think that's quite telling is that 
Napoli just now as well is looking tired and, and Sari has a lot to answer for and, and people have been kind of coming at me on, on my own Twitter page and because I am very critical of Sari and you know people are saying you know we are where we are because of Sari and, and I would agree with that but we're also where we're not because of Sari you know for, for everything good that he's done in the football that he's got is playing there is flip sides to where his squad management is, is abysmal and you know, people are, are levelling criticisms at De Laurentiis for, you know, and Gentoli as well for, for not bringing in players. But, you know, the, the chairman and, and Gentoli were, were quite happy to drop money on Verdi. So he said no. Then we went after Politano. 30 plus million was going to be dropped on him until Sassuolo, you know, you know, fudged up the paperwork. So you can't say that De Laurentiis doesn't spend. He took the Higuain money and he brought in Milik and, and uh, Diawara, Zielinski, Rog. You know, these these were purchases which were made, you know, off the back of, of selling, you know, Hig Wines. So I know Ken's done a lot of research into this as well, you know, for, for his own pieces for our site in terms of, you know, he's got a spreadsheet there which has got all the incomings and outgoings that's been done for, for years. It's a great piece of work. Um, so the, the criticism that De Laurentiis doesn't spend is, is ludicrous, but... It's it's disappointing to see, but this for me, the way that we're limping over this finish line, and it's just history repeating itself. We've seen it, you know, so many years, two of the last three years, we've seen this happening where, you know, we've got all this kind of promise of a, you know, a Scudetto winning season, and then, you know, you get to the business end and, and the wheels fall off. So I don't think we were blinded by the beautiful football. I think the football, you know, was a brand that was going to take us to a title. But ultimately, you know, and again, I don't think it'll be a popular opinion, but, you know, Maurizio Sarri, yes, gets great credit for the football that he plays, but on the flip side, he's got to take the criticism because his squad management has been absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just a quick little, just a little add-on here is, you know, we're, we're, I think we're in the public eye of where we are because of Maurizio Sarri, but the 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 sort of flip side of that is that you know, he's going to have a, assuming we don't pull off a miracle, and if we do, that's amazing. It doesn't change the criticisms that will come because we're going to have the expectations of Europe next year. But, you know, he's going to have, a, uh, you know, a third place and two second place finishes, but Napoli also haven't finished lower than fifth in the league since 2010-11, or 2009-2010. So... We're not exactly where we are because of Maurizio Sarri, maybe with style of play, but, I mean, we've been a top-five team in Serie A for the last, you know, for all, getting close to a decade now. So, you know, he's, this year was supposed to be the year that he pushes us across the finish line, and, and, he, and he hasn't quite done it yet, unless there's, a, you know, one more twist in the tail here. So I got a, I got a two-part question really for you guys. Um, one... What will it take for the stubborn sorry to learn from his mistakes and, and, and start adapting the the rotation or can it even be is it even possible with him? And then the second part is assuming that, you know, things stay on course as they are right now and, and Juventus do win the seventh, uh how many of your players do you expect to lose over the summer? Because you guys had that big pack like you said, but I can imagine many of the guys, maybe like merchants or something that will or walk after this if uh if it's a failure. In terms of winning a scudetto, so how many do you, how many players do you expect to lose? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, will I start this one? Yeah. 
will Sari learn from learn from his mistakes in terms of rotation um, and a word no? Uh, I think that comes from just the type of character he is. I think from his his path into the game into the top level that he's taken, he's a he's kind of stuck in his ways. You know, very stubborn. Um, even you know losing out on a title, I don't think that he will alter things. The, the, the thing we've got with, with Sari and rotation is that. You know these these players that he's, he gets bought for him, whether he asks for them or, or they're bought for him. You know your Diawaras, your Zelenskis. Zelensky does play often, but Marco Rog, especially, just does not get a look in. Um, you know Lorenzo Tonelli, who he worked with, doesn't get a look in. So it's all very well saying. You know if he brings in a better caliber of player, then he, he strengthens the squad and he strengthens the bench. But I mean, as Kenny and and Rafa and, and Marco and you know myself have said. In private and on on Sempre is like, will he use them? It doesn't matter if you bring in any players. I mean, this this is a guy you could you could sign him. I don't know. I don't want to say something ridiculous like Messi or Ronaldo. Obviously, would play someone of that caliber. But any reinforcements that come in, he's very. I don't know. He, he just lacks to actually give these guys a chance against like a Benevento. Are you try to tell me that Adam Unas, um, Diawara, Rog, Tonelli. You know, aren't you know good enough to to beat Benevento at home? He did not need to play what we've you know dubbed the classic eleven at home to Benevento. I mean, you just that is about squad management, and he just is not any good at it. So well, it's all very well saying, and people come at us and say the fringe players aren't good enough. Well, how do you know they're not good enough? They don't get tried, and when they do get brought in, they don't. They don't actually seem to know what they're doing. I mean, we've seen it in the Coppa Italia games, we've seen it in Europa League, we've seen it in Champions League, where he brings in, you know, it's almost as if he kind of goes, right, fine, I'll make some changes because you've moaned about rotation. He makes the changes, the players come in, they haven't played anywhere near often enough with one another in the system, and it looks disjointed, and we either lose or get knocked out. So then it becomes a case of, well, you asked me to rotate, and look what happened. So he goes back to, to type. So he's he's trying to win a league title with fourteen or fifteen players, at most, and you can't do that. So I don't think he ever will learn, um, you know, from from any mistakes in terms of of rotation. I just think that's who he is. Uh, and if he does leave Napoli for the Premier League, and if he does go to like a Chelsea, then I've got a really bad feeling that he may well get shown up because, you know. You know what the the Chelsea dressing rooms like. You know what Premier League dressing rooms are like. A lot of kind of prima donnas in there. A lot of egos. A lot of big names. People want to play. Um, so if he goes in there and picks fourteen or fifteen favourites and just uses them, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, will we lose players in the summer? Just to answer the second point, you, you mentioned Dries Mertens there. I, I don't think anybody is going to activate Dries Mertens' release clause on the form that he showed the last two months. Um, He's been blown out of his backside, quite frankly. Um, I don't also see Napoli following through with the new deal that was mentioned. There was talk about increased terms, um, you know, to remove the the clause or include or increase the clause, um, you know, and extend it a further year. I don't see with the current form whether that's going to be the case. But as I said on the flip side, I can't see um, anyone actually wanting looking at him just now, looking and going. You know, last season, the tail end of last season, he was in fire. So that's why we were worried we were going to lose him. But we didn't. This season, it's the complete opposite. Eric Millick has come in for, you know, two 30-minute substitute appearances and has looked hungrier, fitter and, you know, 
has quite frankly contributed more in those two 30-minute appearances than, than Dries has contributed in the last maybe three, four, five matches. So um, we might well lose him. Someone may decide to take a chance on him, but I can't see it on his current form. Um, maybe Premier League interest may increase in Koulibaly. That's always one, you know, we also get the, the hashtags every summer, free Koulibaly, which makes us giggle. Um, you know, from Premier League Free him League from awful Napoli. Yeah, free him free, from awful Napoli. Free Koulibaly. That's the, the, the favourite we get from Chelsea fans. Um, yeah, I think the one, and, and Kenny will agree with us, is that we're kind of expecting that Fauzi Gulam might well be the, the kind of one big name that may move on. We know he signed that new deal, but has he signed that deal on the proviso maybe to help Napoli get a decent fee for him? His contract was going to expire. So he has signed that new deal. He's obviously had the bad injury. You know, he had the ACL injury, came back from that, arguably maybe too soon. Done his kneecap in training and he's out again. So we have missed him. There's been talk of, you know, Grimaldo coming in, um, possibly Benfica. But we just don't know what's going to happen there. But the, the kind of, I don't see Insigne going anywhere. Um, you know, Carly Horn and, and Reina are the two mentioned and maybe a chance to flip a question back on you guys, which I was going <laughs> to ask earlier on, which was on the agenda before we drew nothing each and decided to, to cancel our show for this week. Um, you know, I, I don't know how you guys would feel about the fact that, you know, after Donnarumma's wonderful save on Millick at, you know, at the death today, if he stays next season, I don't see why Pepperina would want to go and sit on, on a bench, but he's obviously not going to get a new contract at Napoli. Uh, and Carly Horn as well is a player that's been linked with you guys. So I don't know how you feel about, you know, maybe those two players coming to you, but um, I'd quite happily, well, we know Reina's going to go anyway, but Carly Horn, if we can get him out the door and maybe bring in, I don't know, someone a bit fresher, because Carly Horn has not been anywhere near the levels that he's shown again last year, but maybe that comes down to tiredness. I don't know. It's back to the squad management. So um, I think. If we don't win the league, um, and that looks likely, I think you could see maybe two or three big names go out the door. You know, the main ones being, you know, Callihan, uh, Bali and, and Gulam. Yeah, Richard, I'll t- I'll tackle this real quick. Um, <laughs> on on you know, as for Reina, um, I, I I don't see it. I don't see a scenario where Donnarumma leaves this summer. Um, you know, unless somebody goes above, you know, above and beyond whatever release clause got negotiated, uh, you know, for uh, for Donnarumma to leave. But um, you know, I I also don't see Reyna wanting to come to Milan with the idea that he's going to be a, a backup. So, um, you know, so that one that one there, uh, if, if 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 that one there, I'm not I'm not high on. I would love to see. I wouldn't mind seeing Reina because he's obviously been has a lot of experience, you know, at a very high level with with some with some high profile teams. Obviously, with his, you know, the the, the heights of these reaches Napoli, and then you know, playing with Liverpool prior to that, and maybe not necessarily at the at those same heights, uh, you know. But he's been in a lot of high profile games. There's a lot of experience that he can offer. I just don't see him coming and being a number two. Um, as for Callihan, I mean, he's 31 years old now. Um, and, and what we're talking, we're talking about a Kelly that just has played in a, a, a very attractive system, a, a system that's of, of blistering pace. Um, you know, so this is a, this is a Kelly for me. That's 31 that maybe in football years is 35. Um, at least that's what I'm seeing from him. Does he still have some moments of excellence? Absolutely. 
but I, when you look at this Milan project and you look at what they've invested in, they've, they've got a lot of young players that they brought over. You know, Leonardo Bonucci and Lucas Bilia were the exceptions. The, tr- the, strategy, the strategy for me, for Milan, if they're going to have transfers, if they're going to bring in signings in the summer, is two to three players that have been in high-profile competi- competitions um, you know, and have done it at a high level. Now, while Callejon fits that mold, I don't know how much more Milan will get out of a Callejon. You know, I'm looking at, you know, hope, looking at it, hoping for guys that are kind of in that 27, 28, 29 year old range might be a little bit harder for Milan to get, you know, but that would be much more ideal to me. So, you know, I'm going to, I, me personally, Richard, I'm going to hard pass on both of those guys. If it was, if, if it was me making the decisions, but I'm not making the decisions. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I'd, I'd pass on both. Uh, one, I don't want to have a backup goaltender that makes a lot of money wage-wise uh, when I could be developing Plizzati. Uh You got Abiati, who's who's working, you know, working in the in the back room there to help you know these guys, you know, develop. And obviously, Storari's there right now, which is Storari's not as good as uh, Reyna. But I don't want to spend the money on 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 Reyna when I can spend it on other players. Um, I just I just don't want Reyna there at all, and I've never never really liked him as a player. Not to say he's not good or, or was was wasn't good, but it just he's not my cup of tea. And then Callejon, I think if we played a similar style to what Napoli played, I'd I'd love to play him because I could see how we could implement him. But we play a totally different style, and I don't think uh, it'd be it'd be like you said, it'd be hard to implement him into our what we do uh, game in and game out. It just um, he ha- he would bring some value to to us for sure, but I think there's more more dead weight there with him, you know, with the style that we play. And we wouldn't we wouldn't make good use of him. Basically, he would just be uh, another player that we would overspend on and and wouldn't contribute like another Jeremy Menez or something like that. You know, I I think Jose Callejon is 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 a lot better than Jeremy Menez. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the same result, is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy Menez, the one season that we had him, he just drove me nuts because I think Milan finished tenth because when he was out there, all he cared about was being Capocan and yet he didn't care about any didn't care about any What do you have like fifteen penalty kick goals? He had like seventeen goals and fifteen of them were penalties. Something like that. So just like it's like Marco Borriello. Well, how good are you when half of your more than half of your goals are penalties? <laughs> so um, you know, back when with Borriello had that season at Genoa where he was like one of the top scorers, but you know, took a bunch of penalties. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, gents, I'll hard pass on that on, on, on both of those guys. Now. Um, so just give me one thing that, okay. Napoli win next year's Scudetto because oh, can you man. first? Because we got over our mental block of finishing a se- from having a season start to finish be consistent. If it doesn't be one thing, that's got to be it. Okay, James Napoli wins next year's Scudetto because we bring in a manager who knows how to utilize a full squad. Okay, <laughs> very good. Um, Richard, did you have anything else? Uh, I did, and I did. I lost track when we were talking about all that. Uh, no, nah, I'm good for now. If I think okay. of it, I'll, I'll bring it up later. Okay. Well, with that, we'll segue into that just hugely entertaining game between Milan and Napoli. <laughs> uh, 
that uh, we're going to bounce around. And I know that there was the Rome Derby. Roman fans, hang on, chill out. You guys weren't you guys weren't any more exciting than this game was. Yeah, nil so. nil um, too. So everyone relax. Yes. <laughs> so I know that that was the top billing of the weekend. But you know, realistically, when you have uh, you know games that feature eight of the top nine teams all playing against each other, it's it's you know it's hard to pick and choose. So since we have Napoli guests, we're going to talk Milan Napoli first. And uh, wouldn't you know? Uh, the game ended nil-nil, um, you know, and for, for a game that, uh, uh, with two teams of, of pedigree, um, and about obviously two teams that are starting to see a little bit of a, of a dip in form. You guys comp- commented, obviously, Napoli, um, you know, having their issues. Milan all of a sudden struggling to score goals, uh, you know, since that defeat against Juventus, the nil-nil draw against, uh, 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 Inter and then the one-one against Sassuolo, they were actually behind. Um, where Nikola Kalinic did score a goal, but it was a goal that anybody could have scored. Um, and then this nil-nil here against Napoli. So, uh, you know, a, a game that really, you know, and, and, and James, I'll start with you. This was just a ninety-minute chess match, and and really, neither team could could just get to the other team. You know, I mean, the quality chances were just so few and far between. Pretty surprising for two teams uh, with the talent that they have. No, it wasn't a great advert for Italian football. And, is you know, it, it was the match that obviously the Rome derby was there. But it was the game, I think, which would have stuck out for a lot of a lot of neutrals um, is when it was going to have a lot of goals in it. You know, maybe not so much ourselves going on recent form. I mean, was it, was it six goals or something we've got in the last... Six games yeah. or so. That is, yeah. yeah, it's just it's not not the kind of free free scoring Napoli that you know you've become accustomed to earlier on this season and you know you know season gone by. Um, you know Milan. Th- this match was one that you know we circled on the calendar as as being a, a worry. Um, just basically you know looking at it coming you know two fixtures before the the trip to the J Stadium. It was one of those ones where. You know, Milan have become more resurgent under Gattuso. He's 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 got that passion that he had as a player. He still has it as a manager. He's he's putting it into his squad. So it was always going to be a, a difficult, you know, game anyway. But I think if you'd asked, I, mean, I thought it would be a draw, but I thought it was going to be a score draw. Um, and as you said, you know, few and far between with the chances. I mean, again, you had you know Lorenzo and Senior having you know little kind of half chances. Again, there was one in the first half. He, he kind of you know dragged it on his right foot and. Um, Donnarumma easily saved it with his legs it wasn't even, it was more of a, a hit and hope which has been kind of the story of Lorenzo and Senior for the last few weeks now as a lot of hit and hope stuff um, there's no real conviction to his finishing but then again as we've already said you know Dries Mertens is exactly the same um, and the real golden chance that came uh, it was in Senior and much like it was you know, um, last week when Diawara scored, Milik flicked it on for, for Diawara to score that dramatic winner uh, against Kievo. Uh, and Senior flicks it on to, to Milik. He takes one touch to settle uh, and one touch to... And he's he strike. I mean, I know Marco, if you listen to this, um, Kubani, he was on our chat earlier on saying, you know, Milik has to finish. And I kind of respectfully disagreed with him on that because that is a wonder save by Donnarumma. Um yeah. He's Great got absolutely. He's got no right to make that um, for the size of him um, to get down as quickly as he did. Um, the reflexes that he showed. I mean, Milik brings that down. He kills it dead with the first touch with the right foot. Swings the left at it. He's put it right in the corner, uh, and you know Donnarumma's put it 
inches past that post. Um, sensational save, and the last minute luck runs out. You know, we've been kind of we had the the winner against Genoa with Albio. We had the winner against Kievo the last minute with Diawara. We thought we were going to make it three, um, but the luck just finally ran out in the the last minute goal department. Richard, uh, Milan v Napoli, and Milan go into this with a centre back pairing of Matteo Usacchio and Christian Zapata, with Nikola Kalinic starting up front. You would have thought we were in for a beating. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I saw Kalinic, I thought that the Napoli was going to win, and then you had Zapata back there with Musacchio. Musacchio, I don't mind as much, but Zapata. Uh, of course, those two were together at Villarreal, Villarreal, who got relegated uh, a couple years ago in, the, in La Liga. So, yeah, they're, uh, they weren't uh, the best defensive pairing that we could have put in, but I think that's all we really had. Uh, yeah. yeah, surprisingly, you know, Milan, I mean, maybe it has something to do with Napoli's form lately that they uh, were able to stifle uh, Napoli's attack for the most part. I mean, there were a lot of players. Koulibaly did what he he normally does, and... It was pretty easy for him to take out Kalinic. All you got to do is look at him and you take him out of the game. Um, but he, I mean, he <laughs> shut down the rest of the attack for Milan too. So he could have said that. And then Husai was completely shutting down Suzo. Suzo was no threat at all. But, um, if you look at the other end though, you know, uh, I'm not going to give credit to Ricardo Rodriguez like ever. Uh, but <laughs> defensively, what they did, uh, from the, from the midfield perspective is they, they clogged up the middle and, and, uh, Kept the balls wide and, and Napoli were just making mistakes really and it made the defense of Muzaku and, and Zapata look better than really they were. They had some good opportunities where they cleared the balls out, sure, definitely. Uh, but I think it was more Napoli not capitalizing than Milan doing anything successful. And, uh, both defenses really were pretty much the same in this game and the attacks were almost non-existent. Let me follow up with you, Richard, real quick. Uh, and then Ken, I'll get to you. Um, and I might make some Milan fans upset here but the time to move on from Giacomo Bonaventura I might make him even more upset I think it's time to move on from Jack Bonaventura and Suzo okay. I don't know he's he hasn't done much lately he's become too one-dimensional and in the last couple of games he's been completely shut down um and Jack as much as you love Jack I love his heart uh he just doesn't have it anymore uh he played in the midfield where he's probably the best um, for a position for him as far as you know, either left wing or, or left midfield. And yet still he's, he's doing too many turnovers. He has some flat moments of brilliance where you're like, oh, that's the Jack I remember. But then he turns it over or gives away a bad pass or doesn't even track back on a play, and you're like, come on, man. So I, I think it's time to move on from, from Bonaventura and, and Suso as well. Okay, okay. Um, Ken, uh, two guys from Napoli that I thought uh, – stood out uh, you know, when you're trying to find out who's standing on in this game. Clearly, Khalidou Koulibaly put on another you know, defensive masterclass. Uh, although you can argue, I think there, there were stretches of the game where Raul Albiol deserved the plaudits for you know, dealing with Nikola Kalinic. Um, but uh, we have been singing Alan's praises many, many times on this podcast. And um, you know, I, I just got done being hard on – Rich and I just got done being tough on Bonaventura – Alan had a lot to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I personally thought that Alan didn't have his best game, but he did neutralize. Oh. I mean, he he, you know, he's been super consistent this year, and I feel like what I expect from him is just like <laughs> beyond the reach that he could do every single week. I mean, after his first half of the year, I went out and I bought an Alan shirt. So, I mean, that's my dude right now. So, yeah. But 
I, I thought that he wasn't at his best, but what he did do really well was was neutralize his opposite number uh, in Bonaventura. Uh, and I, I I'll agree that I mean Koulibaly was a was great again today, and I feel like last week, you know, he had maybe his worst moment of the season where he gifts a goal um, to Kievo, and at the moment we thought you know it was going to be a game we were going to lose. Um, but I'm going to throw another name out there, and it's been a name that you know controversial or not that has been our best player the last couple of weeks has been Arkadiusz Milik. Uh, I know I didn't score today in the, in the last minute, but I think that's, you know, that doesn't really have as much to do with him as it does with the quality of the save um, that Gigi Odonnarumma made. Um, yeah. But he's a guy who's come in and, you know, he's gotten healthy again and he's got that. He's, he's got a little bit of, I think he's got a little bit of anger in him that he's been injured and, you know, he's got, He's still only 24, but I feel like in these games, and we've seen it with Dries Mertens for as well as he's done the last two years, that with, I mean, Musacchio and Zapata, I mean, and as God, I would not want to have Zapata on my team. I feel like every time he has the ball at his feet, I would be so upset that he's going to do something stupid. But, you know, teams that have these larger, more imposing Central defenders, these are the games that you see Dries Mertens sort of slip into a little bit of anonymity. And, you know, you've seen it against Juventus and you've seen it against uh, Real Madrid last year a little bit. And you do see it against some of these teams that have bigger def- – Inter twice this year. And Roma in the past has been another team. And, you know, Milik just gives us that wrinkle that we don't have when we don't have him in there. He's a big – more of a target man, but he's got, you know, he's, he's agile and moves quickly enough that he can play in our system. And I think that the dynamics of the games have completely changed when we brought him on in the last couple of weeks. You know, you see this week we didn't do it because we made a double change, uh, but we've been going to a four, two, three, one and playing Mertens and behind him. And you can just see the way the team change, the team changes. He comes on. I mean, even today, I think his first touch of the game, he has, you know, he puts a shot over, but he's still doing all the right things that you want to see in a guy, you know, going down a stretch run of a season. I think that, you know, when we, I was hoping, even though I knew it wasn't going to happen, that he was going to start today um, because I think he's deserved it. Even if he doesn't, even if he can't go the full 90 because of, you know, stamina or whatever. But I, I feel like for me, the top two, Koulibaly and, and Milik, even in a short appearance, but I think Insigne has been good, but I think he's a little bit in his head right now. And I think he's, I think in his mind he's trying to compensate for the fact that Mertens hasn't been scoring, and I think they're all exhausted. But I feel like Insigne has been consistently our best sort of attacking player the last month, even though he hasn't quite found the you know the finishes yet. But that's sort of where, I, where I've landed. The, the game was one of these weird ones where I think both teams had one chance, and we've had two good saves. Pepe Reina made a, made a really good save in the first half. Uh, similar, I mean, it wasn't as good of a save because it wasn't point blank, but, you know, diving to his right and, uh, and, and making a strong save with his arm. But that was, you know, it was on, one uh, of those, that was the one on Chalhanalu right off the corner. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I think in turn, he was your all's best player of the game. Chalhanalu, I think, especially in the first half, I thought he was given Maggio all kinds of fits. Um, I feel like that he's a player that when I watched him in the Bundesliga and now he, he sort of has these ebbs and flows where, where, when he's playing really well, you're like, man, this guy is going to be the the person that breaks the game for us. And then he, in the second half, he disappeared a little bit. So, but I, I thought he was one of your better players. I thought Kessie had a decent game too, but yeah, I, th- I think it was, it was a stalemate and, and neither coach could find the, uh, 
you know, the key to unlock it. And both teams had their had their one chance and and two decent saves, and we end up zero zero. Okay. I thought Kessie Kessie was a strong player, and yeah. then he went up against Koulibaly and he got manhandled. I mean, every time I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how Koulibaly was that strong. I thought Kessie played with with great energy, um, but got very indecisive in the final third with his passing, with some of his decisions and some of the things that he wanted to do. He overhit some balls. He tried to do some a couple of cutbacks that just didn't look right. Um, but, you know, incredible that we're talking about him and, and playing with great energy. This is his 57th game this season. Um, in That's all un- unbelievable. From Milan, <laughs> and he's still, you know, running running like he's tankless. Like he just, you know... You know, running like he's tankless, running like he's got a full tank. So it's uh, it's a a player we need at Napoli because it's the kind of you know expectations we have. You got to play every game and never sit. So, (laughs) well, if 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 if, if our management decide to get dumb and refuse uh, to pay that, uh, um, was it twenty eight million, which is a bargain. Um, So, uh, James. Last thoughts for you, because I know it's awfully late. Uh, <laughs> you know, last thoughts for you on this game and, you know, just uh, kind of handicap Napoli's, Napoli's chances at this point. Six back, and it, it doesn't get any easier. You got to go to the J. You got to go to Fiorentina, Torino. You got to go to Sampdoria. It's, uh, uh, they they got to find some form quickly because it's not going to get any easier the rest of the way. No, I mean, the, the, it'll be an unpopular opinion um, for any Napoli fans that are listening, but um, I think that is it done. Uh, I think this, the Scudetto dream, you know, died with, um, you know, Donnarumma's fingertips today. I think that was, as I said, we've, we've kind of ridden our luck when it came to, to last-minute goals. Um, you know, the LBO won against Genoa, um, and obviously the Diawara won against Kievo. I thought it was going to happen again today, um, and... You know, it just it just wasn't to be. So, um, as you you've mentioned there, I mean Fiorentina, the form that they're in after you know the the tragic circumstances of a story, they've come together and went on was it six games unbeaten they've went now, um, an incredible run of form. I know they drew nil nil with with Spal today, but I think they had six wins in the bounce before that. So that's never easy. Obviously, going to the J Stadium, they've only given up how many goals in the last few games? Is it two goals domestically or something they've given up? In, you know the last run of form they've had, um, so it's it's not going to be easy. Udinese at home in midweek. Um, Udinese aren't exactly you know going great guns just now either. They lost two one to Cagliari this weekend. Old Napoli boy Pavoletti getting the opening goal in that one. Um, but it's just you you wouldn't. It's almost as if the kind of the crushing pressure now of this you know whole Scudetto thing is is weighing down on Napoli. There's no fun. In, in the play anymore, everything looks very forced, very laboured, very stressful. Um, and as I said, I think the um, the, the title was uh, taken out of our grasp by the, the fingertips of of Donnarumma. Richard, yeah, one think... final point. No, I was, was going to say is this uh, this game marked the hundredth uh, appearance for Milan for Gigi Donnarumma, so it's kind of fitting that he gets the last save of the game to to keep the the points shared for both teams. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, James, before we turn you loose, any, anything you want to plug out there for our listeners? Um, well, in terms of where they can find us and, and read our stuff and hear our stuff, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you follow 
you guys, then uh, I'm sure most of your, your Napoli-based listeners will be, be tuning in to us or, or following us anyway. Uh, you can get us on Twitter, that's Sempre SSC Napoli. Check out the website, sempreSSCNapoli.com. Find the podcast on iTunes, on Podbean, or any good podcast app. Download it, search for Sempre. You'll find us there. Um, we usually go weekly, but with the, the fixtures kind of winding down, we're kind of going every fortnight just now. Um, always get plenty of good guests on there. Get guys from Behind Sport, BT Sport, um, you know, like see yourselves, other great, you know, guys that are doing, you know, good work on other cultural podcasts. Um, the team's growing. We've got five guys on there. We've just brought Frank on, you know, Frank Sidekick, one of the, the contributors to the website. Um, so it's all going great. So if you do enjoy you know, good Napoli rants, and it's all much like yourselves, guys. It's we don't sugarcoat anything. We see it how we see it. If that's the kind of Napoli coverage that your listeners who are of a Napoli persuasion like, then be you know sure to to follow us and give us a listen. Excellent stuff, James. Thank you so much. I know it's really late where you're at and going uh, <laughs> on field. You feed your little daughter, and don't worry, we'll take care of Ken and keep him in line. Yep, I'm <laughs> sure Ken, Ken will Ken will do a good job. Always does. Well, okay. We'll feed Ken before he leaves. Yeah, feed him. <laughs> let, let him out first as well. Make sure he does his business then, you know. So. <laughs> <Got it>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great great talking with you as always, James. Andrew, cheers, guys. All right, that was James McGee. Ken's still with us. Let's get to the rest of the city. Uh, match week 32 slate. All right, and we're going to start with some bad news for Ken and James and uh, the Napoli faithful. That uh, that that draw with Milan was only the half of it. Juventus, who they're chasing for that Scudetto, uh, beats Sampdoria at home. Uh, three goals to nil. Mario Mandzukic goal just before halftime. Uh, Benedict Kuvedes on the hour, and then Sami Kadira in the 75th minute. Um, let's just uh, let's let, let's give a quick take on this. Uh, it's now to six points, uh, Ken. It's it's getting tougher and tougher, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, going into today, you know, you're just hoping to to stay where we were at. I I, I didn't think coming off of the controversy midweek that Juve was going to let uh, Sampdoria get Sampdoria get past him, especially considering the reverse fixture. And man, has the has the road forked since that fixture? You know, Juve go on an insane tear and. Sampdoria, we thought we're going to be the maybe a dark horse to get into Europe this year, and they have slipped pretty significantly. I think you know they, they're they're not, their run of form is is dipped, and you know I think the writing was on the wall. You know this is the second week in the last three that that or four that Napoli have had a chance to sort of you know get a win right before Juve go out and play, and you know maybe put a little bit of pressure on them. Uh, and Napoli didn't do their bit, and and Juve did their did their part of, you know, getting themselves a little bit of breathing room. You know, I, I had been of the, or have been of the ilk that the fixture next weekend would be the championship decider. I, I don't know if that's still the case, but, you know, now Napoli are in that sort of, they went from, you know, a month or a month and a half ago going, you know, we if we can win most of the rest of our games and draw at the J Stadium, you know, we'll be in good shape. And now, you know, the, the script is flipped and we – you know, have to beat Juve at the J and then hope for, you know, Juve to slip up somewhere else. And, you know, the team like Juventus and their objective is Seoul now. Europe is out of the equation. I think that it's really going to be tough sledding. I'm not going to, you know, completely count us out of it yet because, you know, mathematically we're in it. And if we get a win at the J, we might be able to to build, you know, mentally and, and give them just that little seed of doubt. But it's 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 surely not going to be easy. 
Uh, Richard Sampdoria, wildly, wildly inconsistent of late, a team that really was capturing everybody's attention at the beginning of the season. Uh, they've got that away win at Atalanta, but that sticks out like a sore thumb when you look at the rest of the recent matches. Yeah, that that win was the outlier and everything, and it, it just seems like uh, Qualiarella, Torreira, Lanetti, the whole group, uh, it's for some reason they got into a big lull and they can't get out of it. I don't know if it's it's got to be mental. I'm sure maybe there's a bit, bit of tiredness too. I don't know. Uh, they rotate pretty well, so I don't know. It's 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 a shame because uh, we had such high hopes for this team and they were uh, like like Ken said, it was a dark horse for for Europa League and maybe even Champions League at the at the rate they were going by beating like Juventus and stuff like that. But uh, it's unfortunate uh, for them and maybe they can regroup next year. We'll see if uh, I, I assume John Paolo is going to stay, but maybe he doesn't. Who knows? And uh, moving on now, uh, the uh, Champions League places, the remaining Champions League places, third and fourth. Uh, and this is where it's bad news for Milan fans to have only come away with a nil-nil draw against Napoli. Uh, you had the Derby della Capitale between Lazio and Roma, and then you had Inter traveling to Atalanta on Saturday. Uh, well, Inter, all both of these games ended nil-nil. Um, uh, Richard, I had said, uh, that, you know, after last week and only drawing Sassuolo, I gave Milan about a 10% chance of qualifying for the Champions League, uh, that I was still trying to hold out some glimmer of hope. Um, if they could have beaten Napoli and the scenarios were with these two games, these, the scenarios played out exactly the way we would have probably hoped, um, you know, that they would have gained two points on all three teams in front of them uh, and, you know, just be six back of those Champions League places with six to play. Well, now they're eight back with six to play. So rather than saying they got a 25 to 30 percent chance, they maybe have a 5 percent chance. Wow, you rate them very generously because I've given them my, 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 pan, my percentage has been zero percent for the last couple of weeks now. Um there is there's still there is still technically a chance, like you said, uh, but it's looking very very uh, glim right now, and uh, they're gonna need to pull they need to pull some wins. No more of this draw BS if they wanna if they wanna have any aspirations. Yeah, if they get some wins and if they if if they come short but they get wins on, on along the way, I'm I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, but with these draws and losses, it's it's just not cutting it. Ken, how disappointing the Rome derby, I think, was very highly anticipated considering the form that both teams' attacks were in in recent weeks uh, to come away nil-nil. Yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing because usually, especially in the Rome derby, I think you, you get a lot of crooked score lines, you know, 3-2, 4-3, 2-2, 3-3. And, you know, I, I thought maybe both teams would have a little bit of an impetus to uh, to get after it. They're both fighting for... You know, Champions League spot, you know, Inter is right there behind them, you know, trying to fight for those last spots. I mean, maybe Roma's trying to do, you know, their business in the Champions League and get us an, an extra team in, into the Champions League next year. But, um, you know, it, it was it was weird. It was a lot of sort of toothless games this week. I think it was a lot of uh, tibidness. And I, th- I think as the, as the league starts to wind down and there's, there's a lot of little mini races going on, there's still, you know, albeit a – some distance now there's still a title race there's a you know a log jam where these three teams one of them is going to be on the outside looking in for champions league two and uh, you know and and as you guys touched on milan had a chance today to to really close it it would have you know you would have had four teams within you know five points of each other going into the to the stretch of the season and i think you know if if milan had pulled out a win today i think their run in to the end of the season, you know, looking at it on paper is the easiest one. But I, I think I think the Rome Derby was yeah a little disappointing. It still had a red card. 
but you know, as it seems to happen in these in these uh, der- Rome derbies. But yeah, I thought expecting a little bit more. Uh, these teams maybe just drained a little bit after Europe midweek. Stefan Stefan Radu with that red card for Lazio, not terribly uh, consequential for Lazio. He's not been a a regular first team player. Um, Rome Lazio Roma Inter. Now on the Calcio consultant on the run in, I I said Roma would run away with third. Well, they've put themselves in this tight race, and now there's there's the Champions League semifinal distraction that they've got to deal with. I, I still thought it would. I, I considering the remaining schedules for these teams, I still think it's Roma third, Inter fourth. Uh, and that's how it's going to end up. Um, uh, Richard, what about you? How are you? Uh, how are you looking at uh, the uh, the remaining Champions League places and the battle for them the rest of the way? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think uh, Roma will get that third spot. Um, you have you know between Lazio and Inter, two helter skelter teams. Um, I kind of have more faith in Inter right now than I do in Lazio, just because yeah, Lazio is going to score, but they're going to give up goals too, and. Uh, I had, so I, again, I, I'm going to go with Inter with fourth, and then uh, Lazio with fifth. I think we might have it? a uh, last match of the season uh, yeah. game here for the last Champions League yeah. spot. Yeah. Yeah. Inter. Exactly. Exactly. Um, a little discouraging though, guys, with Inter three straight goalless games after they were in a. They, it looked like they were starting to find some pretty good form. They haven't given up any goals. <laughs> well, they gave up one to Torino. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, having uh, Miranda back there with uh, Skriniar again uh, is, is helping shore things up back there. And, and, and Sami Andanovic has been better than, than people are giving him credit for. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we've gone at length about Lazio and Roma as well. So that is how it's looking with the Champions League places and the rest. Um, the slide continues for Udinese, this time losing to Cagliari 2-1. They did have the lead through Kevin Lasagna. Uh, but it was Pavoletti in the 21st to equalize Cepatelli with the winner in the 84th minute. Uh, Chievo, and, uh, Chievo and Torino, nil-nil there. Uh, this will be a recurring theme. There were five goalless draws in Serie A this weekend, and that is the fourth of five that we've gone through. Genoa figured out how to score against Crotone. Uh, they win 1-0, so uh, uh, that was Bessa getting the goal there in the 28th minute. Another uh, clean cheek from Mattia Padin. Um, who I'm sure is on your radar, Ken, um, yeah, for next he summer. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so we'll see how that all plays out in the summer. Fiorentina, uh, their winning streak snapped, but still on an unbeaten run. Uh, nil-nil draw with Spal. Uh, Bologna two, Hellas Verona nil. Uh, we can we can poke fun and say, well, very easy to call Simone Verdi's goal uh, on that free kick, maybe the goal of the week, um, or you know maybe being in the top two with another certain one that I thought was pretty impressive. But uh, uh, Simone Verdi's free kick, uh, Richard, that that could have that, that could have been a goal in the week in a in a week of twenty five to thirty goals, really well struck. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he has an amazing right foot and left foot, and I believe this one was with the left foot. Uh, he play he he must practice this like nonstop because he's he's good with both feet, and then uh, he's a very good free kick taker. And then I mean, it's a shame he's not going to Napoli, but uh, wherever he ends up next year, uh, hopefully he contributes well with not only set pieces but uh, in the run of play as well. And uh, he's he's one of those guys where I think that. Anytime there's a dead ball within range, you know, he gives he's some one of these guys. I think if, if he's not on Bologna this year, I you know, they're they're 
they're a little bit further down the pecking order. I, yeah. I, I think he's yeah. probably won them on his own, maybe, you know, five to eight points. And they'd be right in the mix with all these, with this log jam down at the bottom for teams that don't, that are fighting seemingly that, you know, all want to be relegated that don't want to win, you know, Spal, Cratone, Kievo and Sassuolo all fighting it out there for that last spot for the drop. But yeah, I think Verde has been unbelievable. He just pops it in that far corner and there's nothing a goalkeeper could do about it. Good shout. On a slate that was bereft of goals, believe it or not, four of them came in the game between Sassuolo and Benevento. Four out of the 13 <laughs> goals, would have believed that. Uh, Sassuolo to Benevento, too. The other goal that I think is candidate for goal of the week is Cheek Diabate's first, that lovely little chip uh, to uh, put the witches in front by a goal to nil. That was answered by Matteo Politano in the 41st minute. Politano would get his brace in the second half, and then eight minutes later, Cheek Diabate would get his brace uh, you know, go figure, guys. Two informed strikers playing for relegation strugglers. Boy, are they needed. It's just a little a little too late for Benevento. Yeah, too little too late indeed. I mean, Diabate has been an absolute revelation the last uh, six or seven matches, whatever it's been. You know, a brace against Juventus, a brace against, you know, Sassuolo today. And, you know, this, this week was really uh, a week of former Napoli players or formerly Napoli, former Napoli targets scoring – the, like basically the majority of the goals this week, you know, Pavoletti scored, Verdi scored, Politano with a double. There's there's four of your thirteen right there. So, you know, a little bit of extra salt in the wounds this week <laughs> weekend for us. Yeah, and uh, Richard um, Diabate, uh, you know, certainly uh, going to attract some attention giving his performances. It's now with Benevento certainly going to go back to City B. It's almost as if he's auditioning for his next for his next club, um, and then Matteo Politano. The the price tag has probably just about gotten back to where it should be with his recent uh, run of goals that he scored. Yeah, like we were talking about with Ken before, is uh, Diabate. I guess is auditioning for his uh, Turkish club that he's going to go back to, and then uh, they're going to get some money off of him because he's got he's the first he ended up being the first player in uh, Serie A to have a brace or better in three consecutive games in a row since uh, 2001. Dario Hubner. And uh, he's now scored seven goals in his six appearances in, uh, with only ten shots in Serie A. So, uh, yeah, he's going to make somebody money. And then Nick, uh, Politano, about time he's finally scoring. And he's, I think it's, he's going to be worth his, I guess, what, what is it, $30 million, uh, price tag yep. uh, that he was dubbed with earlier. So uh, he's finally getting to that. Uh, he shook off that rust from the beginning of the season. Uh, he's a really good player. And, uh, and I think $30 million is what Napoli offered him uh, earlier, right, Ken? More, I guess the final offer was something along the lines of 35 to 38, I guess. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's, it's funny. I was watching the game or the highlights of the game, you know, in the last couple of weeks of Sassuolo. And, you know, you're like, you know, just watching it going at the time. We're like, this is ridiculous. This is so much money. And now you're like, well, that probably would have been <laughs> a decent person to have, you know, in the form he's currently in, you know, and I think he would have fit in really well, you know, with our style of play too. But I mean, all all credit to him. He's been great the last couple of weeks indeed indeed it's uh you know certainly certainly good to see him getting back among the goals he had a nice little run he had a nice little run of form with Sassuolo last season Udinese it's it, what my gosh nine straight defeats now uh just yeah. one win in their last 14 thank goodness for their thank goodness in their case that they're on 33 points and they're six points clear of safety have you have you seen? I mean, this is this is like, you know, had it, you know, 
this would be getting a lot more attention if if we weren't if if, if we didn't have Benevento's miserable run to start the season. Yeah, and I think Udinese had a you know pretty good start to the season. You know, we were I think they were another team that we were a little bit surprised with early on, sort of with Sampdoria. But man, have the wheels fallen off completely? I mean. They're, I think you said it said it right, Frank. They're lucky that they – I mean, they're lucky they had a good, decent start because they would be down in the doldrums here um, if, if it wasn't for that, for that start. I mean, you know, you see them on 33 points and they haven't collected one in, you know, in months. So, you know, they were – I mean, you know, they were firmly in like I think seventh or eighth place when this slide started and they're lucky that some yeah. of these teams don't want to win because we were, they would we were be right in there. We were, we're talking, talking about, about them about pushing for a European place at one point. Yep, yep. Yeah. Odo was getting all the the plaudits right, yeah. and everything else, but I mean, I you know, does I, he come back now? That's a question. I was just going to ask you that, back. Richard. I was just going to ask you that, Richard. The Pozos have a quick hook. Is Odo in trouble here? Uh, I, I can I see him in trouble. I mean, I'd like to see him there one more year with with you know with the preseason going and see what he can do with the team. But uh, with the the track history of the Pozos, I don't think he's going to last. Honestly, I, I hope he does, but I I don't see it. I mean, rate Massimo Otto as a manager because I mean he can he 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 got he he pushed Udinese into a direction that had them competing for Europe, and now all of a sudden there's this free fall. I mean, what? And then you know the only other you know the only other at least at the Serie A level that we have to evaluate him from was Pescara, where okay it's attractive football, but the team stinks. I mean. Do we is 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 Odo a good manager or is he just is he running into some difficult situations? I mean, th- this is one I can't get my head around. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those weird things, right? He came on they had a stretch where they won what five games in a row, unbeaten, and I think seven in a row at one point. You know, uh, eight out of ten un- unbeaten sort of run there early on in his in his campaign. But you know, I think regardless of. Uh, you know, of, what, of the cards you're dealt with, I think, you know, to go through a stretch where, you know, I think they tied against Milan. And then I think since then they've scored like three goals in nine matches or something like that. And that's just, you know, I I know they don't really have a big striking option, but I mean, geez, I, if they don't collect, a, you know, at least, you know, four or five or six points going down this last stretch run here, I think Odo you know, is going to see the hook. And I don't know. I think it, it becomes a hard look on a resume when you're like, well, we're at a stretch where we did really well, but then going down the stretch of the season, you know, I lost 10, 11, 12, 13 games in a row. It's, uh, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. I'll say that at the very least. Uh, Richard, anything else you're seeing from the table or from, from these teams? Uh, just kind of a unfortunately dull and just kind of a – just kind of a, an anomaly as, 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 as a match week, especially with what we've seen from Serie A in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a head scratcher. And um, I don't know, one of the, as, as this uh, season's winding down, it, it seems like, unfortunately, that the best race is going to be the, the relegation battle. And uh, I'm actually curious what to see with the, the, you know, not this table, but the Serie B table is actually looking, shaping up really well. Uh, Empoli are doing really, really uh, fantastic in the in Serie B, and they got two two of the top scorers in the league. And I wonder if next season, I'm sure they're going to lose them because that's what happened. Pescara, you know, they did so well in Serie B. They lost Lapadulu and a couple other guys, and uh, they end up being the worst team in uh, Serie A. So we'll see what this uh, new crop has to do uh, is going to do when they come in. Uh, maybe we get Parma back. 
but this current group of uh, teams, it's uh, it's it's definitely an odd mixture. Um, a lot of goals, a lot of giving up goals. Uh, it's 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 hard to put a you know pinpoint well what the teams going to do. It's so unpredictable. Yeah, Empoli have all but uh, you know secured their place for Serie A next season. Uh, right now, it's Palermo that sits in second, and then uh, the playoff places are Frosinone, Parma, Bari, and Perugia. Uh, so, uh, you know, much to play for there. There, Venezia and Cittadella still uh, trying to be a thing. So are Foggia and Carpi uh, trying to maybe sneak into those playoff places. But um, uh, that's uh, you know that's how that's uh, that's sitting. Donnarumma's brother is actually second leading scorer uh, for Empoli and the league. Is that right? Yeah, he's got uh, 18 goals. Just Alfredo. The new lineage. So, <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Uh, there you have it. And Ant- Antonio Donnarumma, a big win for Milan in the uh, in the Copa over Inter. So, um, you know, so they've all they've all done something worthwhile this year. That's for sure. Ken, uh, you know, any last thoughts on the table? Uh, kind of where things are at with Serie A after match week 32 before we sign off here? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we've got we've got some interesting things happening. I think that you know, we still have a, some semblance of a title race. We've got a Champions League race. We've got a, you know, a race for that last Europa League spot. Uh, you know, your Milan is not exactly committed to taking that spot over. And Fiorentina has been in good form, so that could be a race. And then, you know, at the bottom, we've got, you know, six or seven teams within seven points here going down the stretch. So, you know, I think Benevento is bye-bye, and then, you know, you got this cluster here of Cagliari, Sassuolo, Chievo, Spal, Crotone, and and Hellas all sort of fighting it out. I think, you know, looking at the other leagues in, in Europe, you know, I think Serie A should, should, should shine pretty brightly this season. You know, we've had a – we still have the closest title race. I think all the other major titles have pretty much been decided. Yep. You know I, know, I know Man City officially clinched this week. I know Bayern Munich officially clinched – uh, last week, I think PSG also clinched this week, and Barcelona is yep. about to do the same. So, you know, this is the only one that has any mathematical chance of coming down to the wire here. So, you know, we have a good a good race for. I think the Bundesliga has a pretty tight race for Champions League spots as well. I know, um, you know, Schalke and Borussia Dortmund and some of those other teams are in the mix there for the you know last Champions League spots. But I think Serie A has had a good season uh, all in all as we come down to the last you know month and a half here it's, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out i i do side a little bit with james here i think the title race is probably over but you know as a napoli fan i have to sort of hope there's one more twist in the tail here and that and that they'll be able to 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 get something but i do think the last week of the season will have some interesting matchups inter and lazio and you know i haven't looked at to see if some of these relegation teams are playing against each other but i imagine we'll have some decent uh, some games with some implications here going down to the very end well, you certainly referred to that. We talked about Lazio and Inter might be for the last Champions League spot. Milan Fiorentina is also matched with 38. Yeah, could be, could be a Europa, Europa League spot. spot. So, yep. Yep. So that uh, that could get very, very compelling all the way down to the last day. So um, if, you, if you guys have any thoughts on what you've been seeing, go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, but this will put a bow on this edition of the Serie Sit Down. So time now for a, uh, a social media and uh, – and a social media check and a shameless plug. And uh, Ken, floor is yours. Great. Uh, I think, you know, James hit on a little bit, but I mean, as you guys know, we, you know, we, this year we launched a website to go along side by side with the podcast, SempreSSCNapoli.com. Um, we're putting together a bunch of pieces, opinion pieces, match recaps and all that, that jazz. So please 
feel free to hit us up there, SempreSSCNapoli.com. Uh, obviously, on Twitter, we're at SempreSSCNapoli. Uh, my personal account is at Napoli Stats. You know, we we're, we're doing a bi-weekly thing as we run down the season here. We'll, we'll have a you know a, a a pretty big show lined up next week with uh, us play, next weekend with us playing Juventus, and we'll have three matches to recap. Um, you know, that's pretty much all we've got on the socials right now. You know, at Sempre SSC Napoli, I'm at Napoli Stats, and feel free to get at us with any sort of you know Napoli questions, any sort of Napoli banter you want to get into. I'm you know me and James and Rafa. Uh, and and Marco and and now Frank, we don't we don't shy away from any uh, healthy debate. So please feel free to to hit us up and and follow us. And you know we're we're here to cover Napoli for anyone who's really willing to willing to listen or or take a click on our website. Excellent stuff, Richard. Uh, Going to work on that uh, Chick Diabate article now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll leave it to somebody else to do that. Uh, I've been so freaking busy with the. Uh, let's see, I've been on. Uh, we're almost on a separate podcast, uh, but I was on the Yellow Wall podcast, the FC Banter podcast. Uh, I'm going to the Hey Antrek Frankfurt podcast. Uh, just had my Shaka podcast order today, and then obviously Serie A sits down right now. So uh, it's been pretty busy with podcasts lately, but it's uh, it's fun. So get to chat with some awesome people and uh, talk uh, football, so I can't beat that. Um, other than that, you can find me at uh, pretty much anywhere, Twitter, Instagram, anything, uh, at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Excellent. And uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21. Uh, Calcio Consultant is up on uh, worldfootballindex.com. Latest was the uh, title run-in with some predictions and some thoughts, uh, or league run-in, I should say. Uh, That did come out a couple weeks ago. Um, Not sure if I'm going to get to something this week or not. Uh, We shall see. Um, But I do hope to have something to, uh, to keep the reader's interest as well. You can go to at Serie Sit Down uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also go there on Instagram. Uh, any topics, any questions, anything you want covered for future podcasts, uh, we'd be glad to uh, tackle your ideas. Uh, Ken, uh, was a blast as always. Let's uh, do it again soon. Yes, let's. We, we, I know I can, I can speak for James on this one. I know we love coming on your podcast uh, and chatting Calcio because it gives us a little bit of a uh, – of a broader spectrum here. So we, we really appreciate the, in, the, the consistent invites guys. So we'll be happy to be on anytime you'll have us. Not a problem. Not a problem. You keep bringing the good Napoli stuff. Uh, you're going to keep coming on. So, uh, so thank you very much, uh, uh, for taking part. And we want to thank James McGee, who is, uh, probably trying to catch up on some sleep somewhere. So, uh, but until then, um, want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.